0: Hi, this Pastor Steve, First Baptist Church of Artesia. Welcome to Wednesday Night Bible Study, our first podcast. Uh, we've been studying the uh, Gospels, and what I want to do is, rather than pick up where we left off, I want to kind of catch us up and recap where we've been, because it's been a week or two since we've kind of uh, had Bible study together. So what we've been doing is putting all four Gospels together and reading them sort of in chronological order. Because as uh, you remember, the Bible is not always put together in chronological order. In the Gospels, you have Matthew, Mark, and Luke, known as the synoptic Gospels. Synoptic means seeing together or taking the same view. Uh, They tend to tell a story from A to Z, whereas John It doesn't really tell a chronological story. He's more concerned with that we know uh, God and Christ. So he's more theme-oriented, orientated in the Gospel of John. But when you put the three, the four of them together, you kind of get a more rounded view of uh, the Gospels rather than just reading one Gospel and then another and another. Uh, What we're kind of doing is bringing them all together. So we might read a passage out of Mark or... Or Luke or John, but we're gonna do. We're doing it in chronological order. So, having said that, you, what we've already covered obviously is uh, the announcement of uh, the Messiah was going to come, and uh, we handled the birth of uh, of John the Baptist. You know, the one who was make, way, make the way ready for Christ preaching repentance. Then we went into uh, the story of. Mary, and obviously uh, the birth of our Lord and Savior, uh, Jesus Christ. Then we went into his ministry, which begins uh, with the marriage feast at Cana, the first preaching in Galilee. Uh, And then we went through the the call of the disciples, where he says, you know, come follow me. And then, uh, you know, the beginning of Jesus' ministry was a lot of signs and wonders. And one of the things we've been talking about over the course of our study is that Notice what we're doing is we're doing theology, and theology is who is God, what is God doing, and where am I in all of this? How do I appropriate all of what, what God is saying? i get a little bit more into that a little bit later, but the theology of it is who is God and what is God doing? So in the Gospels, you're just not reading a story, you're reading... Uh, God developing a pattern of something. He's showing us something. So in the beginning, it's this is what's coming. Uh, the the Christ child is born. He begins in his ministry, signs and wonders. But as he goes along, the intensity of the ministry begins to heat up the longer he is. The closer he gets to Calvary, the closer he gets to uh, the, the last days, the closer he gets to the cross, you will see that the ministry really uh, becomes more intense. In the beginning it's it's I don't want to say it's casual, but it's it's not as intense as it is as it is towards the end. So in Jesus' early teaching, one of the most beautiful passages of scripture, the Sermon on the Mount where he goes through a series of transforming initiatives where Jesus establishes himself as a master teacher of all time. You know, he says a lot of things in the Sermon on the Mount. For example, he says, you've heard it said or it is written. And then he says, but I tell you. In other words, what Jesus is doing on the Sermon on the Mount is he's giving a correct teaching of a particular passage of Scripture and how we apply it and how we use it in our daily lives. So we went through the Sermon on the Mount, part three of the uh, Gospels, part three and actually part four, we went through all of that. By the way, I will be putting up my uh, handouts on the uh, website so you will be able to see all these handouts and things that I'm talking about. You'll be able to download them and and take your own notes uh, along the way. So after the Sermon on the Mount, then we get into... uh, uh, Jesus now performing miracles, cleansing the leper and uh, uh, you know, dealing with the uh, uh, centurion and the healing of his servant there and uh, commissioning of the 12. We also spent some time uh, with uh, Jairus' daughter, the woman with the issue of blood, a story uh, uh, inside a story there. Uh, and then we dealt with the death of John the Baptist and, and how that all came about. And then we dealt with the feeding of the 5,000. And by the way, I always say, you know, as a, as a a point of trivia, the only miracle that is mentioned in all four of the Gospels is the feeding of the 5,000. And uh, what that means is, is that, you know, some of the stories, three of the Gospels might have them or one or two. But for whatever reason, the feeding of the 5,000 is mentioned in all four Gospels. Now, this is a point of reference. Just because it's not in all of the Gospels or it's only in two or one doesn't take away from its validity. All scripture is inspired by God and it's there for a purpose. And so that's why it's important to read all four of the Gospels uh, and then to put them together in chronological order. So you get the whole story of it. After the feeding of the 5,000, then we have uh, Jesus now ramping up his ministry a little bit with the walking on water. You know, I always say this about God. When God shows up, he shows up contrary to nature. In other words, he shows up in a way that you and I cannot do it. You and I cannot walk on water. Jesus walked on water. It's a sign of, of, of God. You know, Moses encountered God in the burning bush. A bush that is not consumed by fire. It is on fire, but it is not consumed. You and I cannot do that. We put a bush on fire, it's burned up, it's consumed. We can't make it continually go. Uh, this is the point of the virgin birth. Uh, you and I cannot do this. You know, God is outside of creation, He is our creator christ was there in the beginning all things were created through him and so he is not bound by the laws of creation he stands outside of creation so therefore when god shows up and when he does things it's contrary to nature that way it's it's a marker and it's a sign that this is god and it's something to look for in scripture Uh, and so after this we talked about the beginning of the i am statements where jesus said he is uh the uh, life, the I am statements. <clears throat> the last time we met, we talked about the transfiguration. This is where he goes up on the, uh, on the mountain. And, uh, you know, you see him, his face shining. And uh, there where you, you you hear from heaven, you know, heaven's opened up. And, and God says, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased. And the point of the transfiguration, as we talked about last time, is that there's a change going on here. From the Old Testament system, the Old Testament way, now to the New Testament, where before, you know, it was Mount Sinai, it was Moses, it was David, it was the prophets. Now God speaks through his son. And this is uh, the point of the transfiguration, that it that the Old Testament, in a sense, is, is not done away with, but its glory is faded because now the glory and the light is on the son, Jesus Christ. And this is the... Uh, uh, the point of the uh, transfiguration. So where we are today the Gospels, part nine, we're going to deal with a parable of the lost sheep. So if you have your Bible, turn with me to Matthew chapter 18. And let me say this about theology, as I always put up on the board uh, when we have Bible study in in person. We're doing theology. Who is God? What is God doing? And where is our response in all of this? In other words, God does something. He tells us something. He shows us something, reveals something to us. But then where are we? Where do we take that? What are we doing with that? For example, uh, you know, God tells us to go the Great Commission. Where are we in the process of that word go in our ministry? So, again, theology. Who is God? Well, what is God doing in where or is our response to all of this. So, Parable of the Lost Sheep, Matthew chapter 18. I'll be reading from verse 11 to 14. It says, For the Son of Man has come to save that which is lost. What do you think? If any man has a hundred sheep and one of them has gone astray, does he not leave the ninety-nine on the mountains and go and search for the one that is strayed if it turns out that he finds it truly I say to you he rejoices over it more than over 99 which have not gone astray thus it is not the will of our father who is in heaven the one the one of these little ones that one of these little ones should perish so the point here is that going after the lost you know for example in a church service Or in a church gathering, you might have 99 people or whatever it is, and, you know, all of them are are, are saved, all of them are following God. But what about the one that isn't? Or what about the one that didn't come that day? What about that one person? You know, our ministry should always be about salvation. It should be about the gospel. We should never look... uh, uh, Bypass anyone. You know that one person is just as important, just as important as the hundred or the thousand or the ten thousand or whatever it may be. And so the parable of the lost sheep is that all of the sheep are precious to the shepherd, but the shepherd will go after that one that has gone astray. And you and I, at any given time, we have been that lost sheep. Jesus came after us, and Jesus, uh, 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 we responded to the gospel. And uh, once we were lost, and now we are found. So, I also want to uh, let you know that if you have any comments or questions, you can email us at info at fbcaartesia.com. Again, if you have any comments or questions, you can email me or us at info at FBC And I can answer uh, those questions on next week's podcast, or I can get back to you individually, whatever you uh, 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 desire on that. But I encourage you to, to drop us a line and let us know uh, what do you think of the podcast? And again, your questions and concerns or anything that you might like to see or, or have in a future Bible study. I'm always uh, asking our class that what can we uh, do to, uh, uh better what it is we do so moving on now we're going to go to Matthew chapter 18 verse 15 and this is a concerning correcting a brother but it's also a scripture that has to do with binding and loosening and this is something that I think that gets abused quite a bit in some circles and so let's take a look at this and see what this actually says so in the gospel of Matthew chapter 18 verse 15 It says, and if your brother sins, now let's hold it right there. This is the topic. This is what this is about, if your brother sins, not about anything else. So in other words, remember when you're reading scripture, read scripture and understand it in the context of what is going on. What is the subject matter? What is the passage referring to? So as we begin here, verse 15, it says, and if your brother sins, this is the topic. It says, go and reprove him in private. If he listens to you, you've won your brother. But if he does not listen to you, take one or two more with you, so that by the mouth of two or three witnesses, every fact may be confirmed. If he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax gatherer. Truly I say to you, Whatever you shall bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Again I say to you that if two of you agree on earth about anything that they may ask, it shall be done for them by my Father who is in heaven. For where two or three have gathered together in my name, there I am in their midst. So let's back up and let's look at this particular passage and what it means to us. If your brother sins, go to him in private. In other words, in the context of a church setting, because what is Jesus doing? Uh, You know, he's going out and establishing that he's Messiah, that he is God, that he is the one that came to save the world of its sins, uh, from its sins. But what is he also doing? He's also establishing his church, but in establishing his church, he's establishing the leaders of the church, the early leaders, you know, his disciples and those apostles that will be establishing church. So he's teaching them how to govern, how to lead, how to worship, how to, how to do things as the church, because once Jesus leaves and we gather as a church, it's a whole new way of doing things. There's not going to be just one temple, not just one place of worship. There will be places of worship all over the world. The gospel will be preached all over the world. So this passage has to do in the context of a church setting, and it has to do with the idea of discipline within the church setting. What do you do if you have a church setting or you're in a church and someone is sinning? Do we just look the other way, pretend it's not happening, or do we address it? Jesus is saying you need to address it. So it says, and if your brother sins, go and reprove him in private. If he listens to you, you've won your brother. So in other words, Church organization, church structure, if we realize there's sin or something going on, uh, you know, you go to that person and you talk to them in private. And if that person is willing to confess and, and repent, you have won them over. If they don't, uh, then you have to take the next steps. Verse 16. But if he does not listen to you, take one or two more with you so that by the mouth of two or three witnesses, every fact is. May be confirmed. So, in other words, now you go to him in a sense with your elders, two or three other people that you may uh, 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 address this issue with. And again, if that person uh, confesses, repents, willing to go to counseling or whatever to get back in right standing, you've won the brother, you've done this correctly. But what if that person still refuses? Now, notice, in the context of doing church, we don't want sin living in the church we don't want people in the organization and the structure of the church especially in leadership to be openly sinning and doing things that are against god we have to have a way uh to reprove them we have to way to have to have a way to and to to keep the structure pure and holy so we so so that it does not fall apart so if you go to him in private and he doesn't listen you go back with two or three others and if he doesn't listen Then verse 17 comes into play. And if he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. This is one of the first references to the church, the ecclesia, the gathering, the assembled together. The building is not the church. The believers, when they gather together, become the church. So whether we're in the building or we're doing ministry outside of the church building, we are still the church. But here those that are gathered together. Uh, tell them, tell it to the church, and if it refuses to listen, even to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile or a tax gatherer. Now, Matthew's original audience, as I said once before, were Jewish believers. Uh, Jews and Gentiles at that time did not get along, Uh, and and, and they, they, they did not, they kind of coexisted, but they did not break bread together. So this is the reference, let him be to you as someone that you wouldn't bread with. Uh, Jews had a hard time with the tax gatherers because they were gathering tax from Rome and they were overburdening them with taxes. A lot of the tax gatherers were charging them more than what they were supposed to. And, And so the Jews did not get along with the tax gatherers. So he says, if this person still Won't even listen to the church, the body of Christ as a whole. Let him be to you as a gentile or a tax gatherer. In other words, do not associate with them. This is a mandate, in sense. This is a a way to say to someone who might be toxic to the church organization, to the to to the gathering of the people. Even if you're meeting in a home Bible study, you know, assembly, uh, you're still in a sense the church. Is doing something wrong. You don't want that person coming in and now uh, uh, tainting what God is doing. So it says there to to, you can remove them from the uh, assembly. And this is the next part, the binding and loosening. Now notice the topic is if someone sins, how do you correct them? And if they're not being corrected, uh, this is the path you take. But notice what verse 18 says. Truly, I say to you, whatever you shall bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. And in other words, he's giving them authority to go through these steps. And if it comes to that part, or where you say that person can no longer be a part of the, of the fellowship. You know, this is, what, this, this is the idea there of the binding and loosening. It doesn't have anything to do with I bind this and I loosen that and I bind something over here and I loosen something else. The context is in the order here of going about someone who strayed, someone that is openly sinning and, and not willing to be uh, 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 brought back into the fold or someone that is brought back into the fold. You know, they, they've admitted their ways, and so you're saying you're allowed to come back in, maybe after counseling or whatever it is. So that's the context of the binding and loosening. It doesn't have, it's not a a, uh, a recipe to go around binding this and loosening that and all these things. Again, Scripture must be held in the, in, the, in the context. In verse 19, he says, again, I say to you, if two of you agree on earth about anything who they ask, it shall be done for them by my Father who is in heaven. And for where two or three have gathered together in my name, I am there in their midst. You know, this is an authority issue. And it's the saying, you know, if two of you agree, you know, that this is the way it's going to go, you know, in a leadership uh, form of, of leadership or the idea that, that this is what the church is going to do. You're on firm ground doing this because unfortunately the church is going to suffer from people who come in and, Uh, For whatever motives or whatever reasons, they might be openly sinning or not willing to repent. Uh, You don't want that kind of uh, thing going on in the church. So that is the context there of, of, you know, the uh, brother offended or the brother that is sinning and the idea of what binding and loosening has to do. It has to do with church discipline. It has to do with protecting the structure of the people that come into the church. And again, if you have any comments or questions on that issue, again, don't be afraid to uh, uh, email us. Again, you can do that at info at fbcartesia.com, and we'll answer any questions on that, because I know for some that can be a little a sticking point. But moving on, uh, let's turn to Luke chapter 9. Again, we're reading it in kind of sort of chronological order as if we're putting the Gospels all together. Uh, We're not going to be reading every single line and passage. But what we want to do is kind of get the story in chronological order as told by all four Gospels. So now Luke chapter 9, I'll be reading verse 52. This is where Jesus is rejected by the Samaritans. Verse 52 Luke chapter 9, verse 52. And he sent messengers on ahead of him, and they went and entered a village of the Samaritans to make arrangements for him. And they did not receive him, because he was journeying with his face toward Jerusalem. And when his disciples James and John saw this, they said, Lord, do you want us to command fire to come down from heaven and consume them? But he turned and rebuked them, and he said, You do not know what kind of spirit you are of. For the Son of Man did not come to destroy men's lives, but to save them. And they went on to another village. Now what's going on here, Samaritans. Samaritans were Jews, just like the Jews that were in Judea. Where Samaritans differ is that back in the time of kings, first kings and second kings, we had a northern kingdom and you had a southern kingdom. The northern kingdom was taken in captivity uh, to Assyria. And for the most part, a lot of them did not come back. Some of them eventually did triple back, and they ended up in the, in the area of Samaria. Now, the southern kingdom, which lasted a little bit longer, was... Uh, about 150 so years longer before they went into captivity in Babylon for 70 years, which uh, was Jeremiah predicted. And uh, Daniel was a contemporary of that and um, mentioned all that. When they returned after the 70 years of captivity, the, the southern kingdom reestablished uh, Judea. And those were the Jews proper. They were there and they were later up in Galilee. But the Samaritans who returned from, uh, were part of the northern kingdom, did not associate. And so what would happen is that even the Jews that were in Judea didn't get along with the Samaritans because the Samaritans didn't like them. So it was kind of like, well, if you don't like me, I don't like you either. And so what would happen is if you were traveling northward, from, uh, say, Jerusalem, you had to go through Samaria. That was the easiest way to go. But what Jews would do is from from Judea, they would walk all the way around Samaria. They didn't even want to go there. Or if you were traveling north from uh, Galilee, as Jesus was going down to Jerusalem, they would bypass it. But Jesus doesn't bypass anyone. And this is the gospel. We don't bypass anyone. Jesus went to Samaria. And, you know, he wanted to show his disciples something. He wanted to show us something. He went to people that he knew were going to reject him. He knew this. And he went there and he wanted to show them something. Because what did the disciples want to do? They just want to cut them off. They said they didn't receive us. So do you want us, Jesus to, to have command fire to come down and consume them? And Jesus, you know, rebukes them. Verse 55. He says, you don't know what kind of spirits you're of. Verse 56, for the Son of Man did not come to destroy men's lives, but to save them. This is the gospel. We don't come to destroy people. We come to preach the gospel. And if they don't hear you, uh, you know, on first glance, well, maybe it's the second time. Maybe it's the third time. Maybe we develop another strategy for reaching whatever it is. We're not here to destroy people's lives. We're not here to kick people to the curb. We're here to get people saved. And this is Jesus' rebuke. And this is the purpose and the story of going to Samaria. You know, don't forget Jesus, again, the the lady at the well, Jesus was in Samaria. And that's a whole other story that we got into uh, about how, he, you know, he, he ministered to her. And uh, she became one of the first evangelists because she said, I met a man who told me, you know, all these things. I'm paraphrasing the story. And she invited all these people to come down in Samaria to see Jesus, you know. As prophet, And so uh, uh, Jesus was not about to bypass anyone. So then what continues after this in verse 57, Gospel of Luke, chapter 9, verse 57. And as they were going along the road, someone said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, The foxes have holes, the birds of the air have nests, but the son of man has nowhere to lay his head. And he said to another, follow me. But he said, permit me first to go and bury my father. But he said to him, allow the dead to bury their own dead. But as for you, go and proclaim everywhere the kingdom of God. And another also said, I will follow you, Lord. But first, permit me to say goodbye to those at home. But Jesus said to him, no one, after putting his hand to the plow and looking back, is fit for the kingdom of God. Jesus' teaching, as I said earlier, becomes more intense. Uh, He really ratchets the whole thing up. He says some difficult uh, things to them uh, in in, in hard ways, knowing uh, they're going to give a wrong answer because they really don't understand what's going on. You know, they're saying, I'm going to follow you no matter what. And Jesus, knowing full well what's going to happen when he's on the cross, they're not going to be there because they didn't sign up for the cross. They signed up for something else. You know, it's not what we sign up for. It's what God calls us to. And that's where our humility has to come into play, where we have to surrender to almighty God and allow God's call to fulfill our lives, not what we want to ful- God to fulfill in our lives and this is what is going on here in this particular passage verse 60 uh, he says but he said to them allow the dead to bury their own dead but as for you go and proclaim everywhere the kingdom of god and sometimes you read that and we say wait a minute what is this all about the dead burying the dead how can the dead bury the dead Remember, what he's referring to here is that when you are saved, when salvation comes to you, you are now not dead in your sins, but you are now alive in the kingdom of God. You are born again. So he says, let the dead, those that have not been born again, let them deal with that. You come into the kingdom of God. You do what I'm calling you to do. Proclaim the kingdom of God everywhere. Don't worry about that. Don't worry about worldly things. You know, it's like right now uh, we're going through this whole uh, virus issue, you know, with the coronavirus and all this stuff and, and things that we have to do. And a, and a lot of people are, are, you know, some people panicked, panic buying and worrying about this and worrying about that because they set their sights on earthly things. You know, the strong Christian looks at that and says, you know, I don't get panic buying. God is going to get us through this. Why? Because they're focused on Christ. And they know that Christ will deliver us. We know that our home is not here, but our home is in heaven, that our task is not in the world. It's in the world, but it's not of the world. And the things that we do are to glorify God, proclaiming the gospel, proclaiming the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God. And so he says, you know, that uh, uh Once you've come into the kingdom of God, that has to be your focus. The gospel has to be the focus, the good news, proclaiming the good news. He says, you know, don't go back and worry about this and worry about those things will take care of themselves. Focus on God, because realize, remember that when you become born again, remember the gospel message is I'm a sinner. My sin separates us, separates me from God. If I'm willing to acknowledge that I'm a sinner. If I'm willing to repent, turn away from that sin, if I'm willing to acknowledge that God so loved me, he sent his only begotten son, Jesus Christ, to pay the price for those sins on the cross. And if I'm willing to confess that, the result is I receive salvation as a gift of God through the grace of God. I now enter the kingdom of God. And so what happens is I now leave the worldly kingdom, in a sense, ruled by the prince of the air, by the prince of the darkness, in a, in a sense, you know, the devil and all of the, his schemes and all of that stuff. Now I can come into the kingdom of God where God is my king, who I look to. Now I'm following God. I focus on God. And this is what Jesus is saying to them. He's preparing them. You're going to have to leave the world. You're, in the, you're going to be in the kingdom of God. And the kingdom of God is about what God says, not about what the world says, not about all these worldly things. And so that's why you can't have, you know, as he says, you know, in part of his passage, you cannot serve two masters. You can only serve one master. And this is what he's saying here, but he's saying it a different way. And he's saying it kind of in a, in a, in a strong way, a harsh way to them, because, again, the ministry is getting more intense. And he's going to be saying difficult things to them because pretty soon he's going to be coming out and telling them he's going to die. He's going to go on a cross. He's going to suffer. And again, you know, they were not ready for this. So let's go to the next part of this. Luke chapter 10, commissioning of the seventy. Chapter 10 of Luke, verse 1 says, Now after this, the Lord appointed 70 others and sent them two and two ahead of him to every city and place where he himself was going to come. And he was saying to them, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, beseech the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. The topic here, he's sending them out to do ministry. He's sending them out. The harvest. We know that the harvest is the harvest of souls. We know what he says. Realize what he says here, verse 2. The harvest is plentiful. In other words, there's a lot of souls out there that need to be harvested, but the laborers are few. Therefore, beseech or pray to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. This is before the cross, this is before the Great Commission. And this is talking about, you know, oh, you know, pray for those souls. Pray for those people that are going to go out and be doing this work of harvesting souls. Verse 3 says, go your, way, go your ways. Behold, I send you out as lambs in the midst of wolves. Carry no purse, no bag, no shoes. Greet no one on the way. And whatever house you enter, first say, Peace be to this house. And if the man of peace is there, your peace will rest upon him. If not, I will return to you. And stay in that house eating and drinking what they give you. For the laborer is worthy of his wages. Do not keep moving from house to house. And whatever city you enter and they receive you, eat what is set before you. And heal those in it who are sick. And say to them, the kingdom of God has come near you. Again, what are we preaching? The gospel. The gospel is about the kingdom of God. That is what we enter. Verse 10. But whatever city you enter and they do not receive you, go out into its streets and say, even the dust of your city, which clings to our feet, we wipe off the protest against you. Yet be sure of this, that the kingdom of God has come near. I say to you, it will be more tolerable in the day for Sodom than for that city. There will be judged for not uh, receiving. So that would be saying, if they're not going to receive what well, you have to say, move on, but give them that warning that they should repent of their sins. So he commissions them and tells them to go out, tells them how to do it, heal the sick, preach the gospel. And we'll close with this passage for this week, Luke chapter 10, verse 17. This is when the 70 returned So Luke chapter 10, verse 17. And the 70 returned with joy, saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. And he said to them, I was watching Satan fall from heaven like lightning. Now this is, you know, in your understanding of Satan is, Satan, you know, as it talks about in Isaiah, was an angel in heaven and uh, he fell. Jesus said, I saw him fall. Verse 19, behold, I have given you authority. To tread upon serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall injure you. Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this that the spirits are subject to you, but rejoice that your names are recorded in heaven. What he's saying is, is they came back and they had a lot of victory here. They had a lot that they could that they were proud of, what they did, and they were happy. And he says, Don't be happy. Because of what you perceive as a victory over demons, as, as, as uh, the things that you did, what you rejoice in is the fact that you are, 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 are in the kingdom of God. This is what we rejoice over. You know, sometimes we get uh, uh, so hung up and excited about what we're doing and this victory and that victory. We have to realize that the victory is Jesus's and it's that victory that was on the cross and because of the cross, we enter the kingdom of God. This is what we rejoice in. Not those little individual battles where we've overcome this or we've done that. Yes, we give God the glory, the honor, and the praise for that. But remember where our glory is, where, 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 where we give glory, isn't, is, is to Almighty God. Because now our name is written in the Lamb's book of life. And that uh, our names are recorded in heaven. And this is what we are to rejoice in. Amen. So praise God. I thank you for uh, listening to this podcast. We are going to continue to be doing these uh, podcasts every Wednesday from 7 o'clock to 8. And I just want to remind you that if you have any comments or questions, you can email us at info at uh, fbcartesia.com. And I can answer your questions or I can put them uh, next week's podcast. Or again, if you have any questions about, or, or anything you would like to have in, in, in Teaching Future Tense, once we finish this, uh, this section on the Gospels, uh, we can uh, go into that or, or discuss that. Okay, So let me just uh, close in a word of prayer. Lord God, we just thank you for this time together. Lord, we thank you for everyone who, who hears this uh, word. Lord, that uh, we rejoice in your word. Lord, whether we're face-to-face, Lord, or whether we communicate via podcast or online or whatever it is, Lord, or we just uh, uh, in the spirit, Lord, that we pray for one another. Lord, I just thank you that our eyes are open to see, our ears are open to hear, and our heart is open to receive what you have for us, Lord. So, Father, in all of this, until we, 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 we uh, meet again, Lord, we just thank you. We give you praise. We give you honor. We give you glory. Father, be glorified in all that we say and all that we do. In your name we pray. Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you and see you next week.